Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to have you here. And I'm looking forward to spending some time with you looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to remind you in your bulletin today, you'll notice there's a study guide there that you can use this week. If you fail to remember to take it home with you or take it to work with you to use during the lunch hour or something or other, I remind you that you can get that on your, on your cell phone or on your computer at email and you can see what you have to do to get it to your cell phone. You just text the words First Decatur, F-I-R-S-T Decatur, uh, one word to 24587 and you can get that study guide that will show up on your phone um, tomorrow at about 9.15. But you have to, we have to hear from you today in order to get that organized, all right? A couple other things before we look at Scripture that I want you to be aware of. That is, first of all, uh, we've been talking of late about the vision of our church in the next 18 months particularly and where we're going, and we asked for your help to consider how you might financially get behind that and prayerfully get behind that. I've got some good news for you today. Remember the goal was to raise a million dollars over the next 18 months? As of Wednesday, this is where we stood, $986,000. Can you say congratulations? That's good news. With lots of gifts to, to date. And in that response, in response to that, I was reading last night and I uh, came across this passage in scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that I thought I just want to bring to your attention today. The Apostle Paul, talking to the congregations that have supported him and supported his ministry, said this, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. And certainly your gift is extremely liberal, and the way in which you've got behind this whole endeavor is extremely liberal. And I want to say, we want to avoid any criticism of the way in which we administer this gift. And so we, he says, we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of all. And so I'll please be mindful in the days ahead, the leaders, both lay and staff, um, leaders of the church, will be in diligently striving to be uh, good, wise stewards of the funds that you're sending our way, and we want to thank you for that. Finally, one more thing before we look at Scripture, and that is, in your bulletin is also today, that comes out of our whole vision campaign, uh, Fun Night in the Park. Remember, we said we're going to take the message of First Christian Church, and more importantly, the message of Jesus Christ, and out into the community in a larger way. Did you see this in your bulletin today? You might look for it. It's an invitation you can use, even with some instructions uh, attached to it. Ways in which you can invite people to four events around the city throughout the summer in June and July. We're going to have guests with us, these guys that are called Real Encounter, and they use bikes and um, BMX bikes and motorcycles and do these amazing stunts. Uh, and we're going to take them with us to the park, and they're going to then tell the story of Jesus Christ's work in their lives. And then we're going to have a big event back here uh, where we bring all four groups together. So make note of that. Uh, we're going to be doing that kind of crazy stuff in the parking lot. Oh, look at that. That's, just, that's marvelous to me. I, 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 it's going to be really cool, I think. I'm going to do that. And that, okay? They've asked me to volunteer. Not really, but nonetheless, okay? So make note, the goal, remember we said that the whole vision campaign, how can we take the story of Jesus Christ to other people? Start uh, be making your plans accordingly, all right? Cool stuff, very cool, all right? Be ready for that. All right, let's take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, to, to set the stage for this today, I, I want to tell a story that I think some of you may have heard me bring to you before, but it, it bears repeating because we're talking about age today and older folk. What does the Bible have to say about older folk? 
Uh, it, the story surrounds a guy in North Dakota, a guy by the name of Jeff, middle-aged guy, gets a phone call from his father, elderly man. Mom and dad live in Arizona. He picks up the phone and dad goes, Jeff, it's good to talk to your son. Thanksgiving is coming in a couple days and I don't want to ruin the holiday for you in any way, but I've just got some bad news and the holiday is going to have to just be put on hold for this. And your mother and I are getting a divorce. What? Yep. 57 years of having it up to here with each other. We've had it up to here with each other. We're done. We're toast. And we're getting a divorce. And I don't have the heart to tell your sister over in Boston, will you please call her? Hangs up. Jeff's a little astounded, a little astonished, a little bit overwhelmed, doesn't know what to do with all of that. Calls his sister in Boston and said, you're not going to believe this. Mom and dad are getting a divorce. And she goes, no, they're not. I'm going to stop this right now. And she hangs up and she calls dad and she says, dad, don't do anything. What's this I hear about you guys getting a divorce? Stop it right now. Jeff and I'll be there in a couple days and we'll work it all out. And she slams the phone down and dad just puts the phone down smugly and looks over at his wife. Yep, they're coming for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and yep, they're paying their own way. <laughs> the old guy had not lost his ability to be wise and even a little bit crafty. What does the Bible say about people who are older? What does the Bible say to people who are older? What does the Bible say to younger people about older people. We're going to look at all that today. We're going to look at it from the perspective of Ecclesiastes. And for those of you who are older, I want you to consider two questions. And I have to say this. I don't know where to quantify what does it mean to be older, but let's just say if you're over 70, you're getting close to being older. Is that fair? I know 70-year-olds think of 90-year-olds as old, but for those who are 30, 70 seems fairly old. So can we just say, for those of you who are over 70, would you consider two questions today that we're going to come back to you and get some advice from? Namely, first, here's the first question. Um, what's your biggest life lesson so far? If you guys move ahead, there we go. What's your biggest life lesson so far? And then a second question, what's the biggest surprise in being older? Those two questions. Now, biggest life lesson... Biggest surprise. And the reason I am asking you that now is because later on in the message, I'm going to come out there and we're going to see if we can't get somebody who's a little bit over 70, give us some lessons. The, what scripture says to do is to look to those who are older to see what lessons. So now those who are over 70 go, okay, I'm going to answer those two questions. Because while you're thinking about that, the rest of us are going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about Ecclesiastes. Now, I want to remind you, Ecclesiastes is a book that was in the genre within scripture called wisdom literature. And when you look at wisdom literature in scripture, you have to be very careful how you use it. You can't take just one short snippet and make a life axiom. Rather, you have to read large portions of it to see where it's going because it's kind of like a whereas, 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 therefore. Does that make sense? And so throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, doing whereas, 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 then he does a kicker at the very end. And so if you just look at the whereases, if you just look at kind of like the first 11 chapters or the first even 12 and a half chapters, you're going to read a lot of doom and gloom, even about old age, and you have to wait till you get to the kicker at the very end of chapter 12 to figure it all out. But, and, and there's lots of doom and gloom throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You've got an old man, the author we think is Solomon, a man well advanced in years, 
And at the end of his life, he's giving his summation of all that life has, occur- has happened. And for example, he's had some pretty rough moments. Like example, um, chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 4, we read this. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you don't know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb, so you can't understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So good luck in life. I mean, it's kind of, you can't do it. Good luck. It's kind of doom and gloom, right? Sow your seed in the morning and evening. Let your hands not be idle. If you don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, it's like, good luck. You don't know if we're ha- plant in the morning, plant at night. I don't know if it's going to work out. Here's an old guy saying, good luck. I don't, I don't get it. And, and so you, you, he's, he's really kind of, oh, uh, uh. And if you just stop right there, you go, well, God says, good luck. No, you have to get all the way to the end of the book. In chapter 12, verse 13, after he's summed up everything, he says this, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. In light of all that I've experienced, in light of all my little axioms, if you will, or whatever, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all. That's where he ends up. But beforehand, he does make some observations about being old. Read with me Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. You got a Bible? Follow along, please, all right? There's one in the pew rack in front of you. You can see the page numbers behind me. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before. So when you're young, follow God before the days of trouble come. And then he's going to announce what the days of trouble are like. Remember your creator before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I know, find no pleasure in these years. Remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark because you can't see anymore. And when the clouds return after the rain, when the clouds return after the rain, what does that mean? There's no sunshine in between, right? Remember your creator before life goes like that. Remember your creator when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. Remember your creator when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. Remember your creator when, the, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. In other words, I'm getting up very early in the morning when the birds get up, but my hearing's bad. I can't hear them anymore, okay? Remember your creator when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms. Okay, what's an almond tree? When the head goes white, when the hair goes white. When the grasshopper drags itself along, desire is no longer stirred. Remember your creator when people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is, is broken. Pardon me, the golden bro- before the golden bowl is broken and before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well. Remember your creator before the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. That word in, in Hebrew is chevoch. And he says it 37 times throughout the book. It really means that um, grabbing a hold of everything, anything is really hard. It's like dust in the wind. That's where that, so, this, that song comes from this book. And it's, it's a wisp of air. Hebel, hebel, everything is meaningless. Remember your creator because everything is meaningless. But then, of course, I remind you, he does go, in light of all of that, chapter 12, verse 13, now that all has been heard, 
Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he's, he's figured it out. So throughout scripture, and particularly in this passage, we have this understanding of what the, how the Bible describes old life. Two options are given. Two extremes, really. One is like what he's describing. Old age is a time of great frailty, or old age is a time of great potential. You see that also in scripture. We can certainly see the frailty side of uh, old age in this passage of scripture. For example, look again at verse three and four. He's got the discussion of strong men stooping. Okay, this is when men who used to be strong now can they lose their muscle tone, or ladies who get osteoporosis in their back, and they stoop, literally, right? He notes that it's difficult to chew because he says, what, is he, what does he call his teeth? Grinders. Did you see that? When the grinders cease because they are few, he's lost a bunch of teeth. Okay? And, of course, they, you know, this is 3,000 years ago. There wasn't the dental hygiene that we have these days. So he's without teeth, and the grinders, are, they don't work anymore. He's got this image of the doors closing and shutting. Okay? And what's all that about? Uh, well, you can think of it this way. If you're inside your house and there's a bunch of noise in the street, what do you have to do to block out some of the noise? You shut the doors and you bring the windows down. He's saying, I'm inside the house, the doors are open, the windows are, are up, and I still can't hear anything going outside because my hearing has gone bad. Right? And then he talks about the windows being dim, namely, I would suspect that you could see that would be common to having a cataract. Because people who have cataracts these days, we know that they can do surgery and the common experience is, man, everything is so bright and clear again. He's aware that life is dimming and becoming more quiet. Verse 5 indicates he's afraid to get up up a ladder because he doesn't like heights. And then he has this depiction of old age as the grasshopper dragging itself along. What's with that? Well, what do grasshoppers typically do? They jump, right? You've seen them jump. And if you were to see a grasshopper crawling, it wouldn't be called a grasshopper, would it? It'd be called a grass crawler. So he's pointing out that a grasshopper crawling would give some indication that the grasshopper is ill or that it is, it is maimed in some way. It's, it's ailing. And certainly uh, that is one way to look at old age. Aging bodies means that the ability to do things in the past physically tend to diminish. I recall visiting with a longtime member of our church in this regard. Some of you may remember Helen Hamilton, who would have been around when this was around, being used regularly. She died a number of years ago, and she echoed this sentiment to me a number of months before she died about how difficult life was with her body as it was. She would go to the hospital, then she'd be out home, then she'd go to the hospital, then she was in a nursing home, and you, you, this backwards and forwards. And I remember just before she died, uh, visiting with her in the hospital, a couple months or so, and we're, we're, I'm standing there and talking with her, and she says, I can't listen to the radio anymore. It's too garbled sound. You know, the surgery that they'd hoped to fix my eyes hasn't gone very well, and I have problems there. And she said, you know, Wayne, It used to be when I was young, I thought it took a lot of courage to do the things that I did when I was young. It took courage to have the kids and then my husband's career and to build the houses and and like every, every day there was a new thing around the corner and could we get our arms around that? And then she used this language, I remember it very, very distinctly. She said, 
But it takes way more courage to be old. It takes way more courage to be old. Now that courage can be displayed in a variety of different ways. And uh, we're going to show you something on the screens today that, frankly, uh, we had some debate as to whether or not to show it to you because you would never have expected to see something like this in church. But we thought you should see it to experience the courage of a woman who's about to turn 80 years of age. So in my opinion, pardon me, but getting up to 80 years of age, she's moving into the older category, don't you think? So look at this lady's courage from Britain's Got Talent. This is weird. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Please, could I have your names? I'm Paddy. Yeah. I'm Nico. And m- might we ask you your age? I will be 80 this July. Oh. OK, well, best of luck. You don't know whether or not to clap, right? It's like, whoa, we saw that in church, and whoa, what was that lady doing, and she's 80 years of age, and how does that work? I get it. Uh, You do that, I'm not not anywhere near near 80 years of age, but if you do that to me, we've got a problem. But nonetheless, I won't have any shoulders, but I want to remind you, I said that while the Bible speaks of, certainly here in Ecclesiastes, of old age as being a time of frailty, It also talks about old age being a time of great potential. And there's one obvious, I mean, that's what makes that unique is that that is so surprising to see an an older person doing that. And so to then, to those who are older, again, I'm saying 70 and beyond, I want to ask, how are you being courageous? And particularly with the two questions I brought to you earlier, What's your biggest life lesson so far, and what are the biggest surprises in being older? And so, to that end, we're going to be a little bit adventuresome here and say, 
Who wants to talk to us and tell us? Because uh, you're going, oh, that means acknowledging I'm over 70. Fair enough. I think most people probably know that. Who can help me out here with biggest life lesson so far? I'll come down here. <laughs> biggest life lesson so far. There are no people in 70. All right, back here. Okay. I could go up in the balcony, but I know that older people won't go up there because it's 17 stairs. My biggest life lesson, even though my husband is forbidding me to say so, <laughs> is to always step out and step forward in faith. And the reason I say that, when I was 23, I lost my baby at five days old. When I was 38, I lost my 23-year-old. She was murdered. And if I couldn't have stepped forward and stepped out in faith, I know what other people have done, and I have it, and praise Jesus for it. All right. Cool. Somebody else want to help us out here? Everybody's chicken. <laughs> in some ways, I think what we've just heard... Probably we, we couldn't top that, could we? Step out and step forward in faith, regardless of what life throws at you. Isn't that really what we've been saying? That old age can be frail, but also old age has the potential to impart Great wisdom. Great wisdom for those who are younger. You certainly see that in Scripture. We have these understandings in Scripture of how older people um, have this potential in front of them where they can be used by God in powerful ways. For example, if you look at Abraham and Isaac, in the book of Genesis, there's these stories where, where these two old men uh, impart Great blessings upon their family. They, 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 they literally touch their kids and pray over their kids who are adults. And, they, and, and they, um, they give them names and they give them blessings and so forth and so on. And so in that light, um, we could say we're going to impart, those who, who are older are going to impart to the younger people this understanding of how to do life with great grace. When Abraham and Isaac died, the, the scripture says that they died old and full of years. What a wonderful way to describe old age. I'm old, but I'm full. I'm full of years of, of ways in which God has worked in my life. Let, let me see if I could explain it this way, how this has worked out in our lives recently. Many of you know that uh, in December of 2013, Leslie's parents moved here to Illinois, to Decatur, after spending all their married life in the High Point, North Carolina area where Leslie was raised. Here's how that happened. Um, we, we got a call. We called them for a number of days looking for them. Couldn't find them. Found out eventually that mom had broken her leg. She was in the hospital. Dad says, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to have a surgery. We'll be home. And we kind of go, okay. Then he calls uh, two days later and says, oh, it's not quite what we thought it was going to be. This break is really bad, and um, this is on a Wednesday, and 
we're going to need to be in a rehab center for three months. She's not allowed to put any weight on it for three months. And because of the way the situation was, you know, the, we had to say, okay, Leslie's going to go out there and watch and care for them for three months. And dad's going to have to be in the, in the rehab center with mom in the bed right beside her. She's, she's not allowed to put weight on it in any way, and she won't remember that. So Les went out that Wednesday afternoon. We come to the weekend here in Decatur, and I'm doing my weekend stuff, and Leslie uh, says on Sunday afternoon, Wayne, this is really, really difficult. I think you better come out. So I got on a plane, flew out to High Point, and um, got there at midnight Sunday night, a week, now a week after this event has occurred, and um, spend the night, go to the, go to the rehab center, 8 o'clock in the morning on the Monday morning, walk in. Hey, Wayne, it's good to see you. Les is taking care of us and everything, those kinds of, that kind of language. And I, I would say I wasn't in the room, the two of us together weren't in the room, maybe 60 seconds, and Dad says, um, guys, your mother and I have been talking, and uh, we can't live by ourselves anymore. We can't take care of ourselves properly like we need to, so you need to sell everything, sell the house, pack everything up, and move us to Decatur so we can be close to you. And we're going, what? And we did that in the next three months. We sold the house. Literally, somebody knocked on the door and said, we hear the house might be for sale. We've got cash. Can we buy it? That was really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. And so we, we sold the house. We moved them here in December of that year, uh, 2013, and uh, made our way through the first few weeks of the year. And so I said to Dad, you know, I'm driving him around town, and I said, so Dad, uh, you feel like you're getting uh, the lay of the land, and you want to start driving? He says, no, I need a few more weeks and I said, okay, we'll just park the car they in, in Bowdoin Assisted Living. I said, we'll park the car down there and leave it with you. And when you're ready, you let me know and we'll do some specific driving around to kind of get you the lay of the land. A couple weeks later after that, he and I were literally in a doctor's office in the examining room. The doctor's about to come in. He's sitting up on the examination table and he looks me at me across the room. He says, Wayne, I've made a decision. Yeah, what's that, Dad? I'm not going to drive anymore. What do you mean? Dad, you're a great driver. And he is a great driver. And he said, no. He said, I've got a walker. Now Sarah's got a walker. And we're in unfamiliar territory. And we're being parking lots that we don't know. And I can't see us having two walkers in a car and making our way around the city. You're going to be our chauffeur from now on. <laughs> and that's the way it's been. Now, I tell you that story. You're wondering, why, Wayne, why are you telling us that story in the context of, of um, Abraham blessing his kids and passing on blessing and transition and responsibility because that's exactly what they did. Many couples our age, Leslie and I age, we face the difficult moments of saying to elderly parents, you can't do this, you can't do that. And those are very difficult moments. I'm so proud of the fact that my in-laws had the wisdom of old age and the potential of old age to say, we've looked at your lives, Wayne and Les, and we can see the way in which you live and we feel like we can trust all that stuff, including our care, to you guys. Do you know what a blessing that is? That, and I know not everybody gets to experience that, but for us, I'm so proud of the fact that my in-laws, now in their mid-80s, had the, the foresight to say, in the, in the midst of where we are and the frailty that we face, we'll be very brave and we'll pass on this blessing of responsibility to you. It illustrates what you see in Scripture over and over again. 
that older people who are wise are not just frail, but they have this great potential to say, we can see what's best for the next generation, and we're going to do it. So with that then, with that understanding of what, how the scriptures refer to older people and how older people should live in the midst of frailty, can I, can I turn the tables a little bit and say, what about those of us who are younger? How should we respond to those who are older? Some observations, okay, that are from pastoral experience of years and from scripture as a whole. First of all, when those of us who are younger who are dealing with older people, may I remind you that old age is a different life stage than death and dying. Sometimes we tie all three of those things together, death, dying, and old age, and that is not the case. Old age is old age. Death and dying is something significantly different that requires a different set of responses. But we're talking about people who are older and might be a little bit frail, but they've got full potential. And, and, and so for those who are younger, let's not just assume that because somebody is old that they are dying. And to that end, let us be people who, be with, with great intentionality, listen for the stories like we heard today. That we are to step out. That story of step out in faith and hope, step forward in faith. That's tremendous for me to hear that. We're going to come back and capture that on video somehow or other because it's so powerful what we just heard there today. That we are to be people who say, okay, we want to listen to the stories. Like, like a little guy, says, little guy says to his grandpa, hey, grandpa, when I get old, what do I need to know? Well, Sonny, you need to know how to plan because I've got to do lots of planning for everything I do. What do you mean, Grandpa? Well, like when I buy bananas. When you buy bananas, is planning to buy bananas? Yeah, I always buy green bananas. Why is that, Grandpa? Because by the time I walk home, they're ripe. So, <laughs> okay, so it's a little bit humorous, but on the other hand, there's that understanding that there's something there that our older folk could teach us and we could listen to. Not just, if you will, humorous little snippets, but stories of how to live life and how not to live life. And to that end, then, we need to help old, those of us who are younger need to help those who are older to wind up, not wind down. And if, if you are older and you say, I don't know how to wind up, then can I tell you, there are all sorts of places in the life of this church where you can wind up, where you can be used. And not all of them require great physical strength. We can sit you at a table. There are places where you're not only needed, but you're wanted. And if you're older and you go, I see my life coming like this, can I say, we'd love to see your life go like this? And we'll find places for you, all right? And to that end, those of us who are younger, we have to be willing to help those who are older, and we have to find new models for doing that help. One of the ways in which we help older people, particularly those who are extremely frail, is uh, Pastor Tim Revis has a responsibility to all the shut-ins in, in our congregation. And if you would like, we could arrange for you to be a regular visitor to just one of those fam, one of those households. And you could say, our kids, my grandkids, we'll go visit so-and-so who's 97 years of age. We have some people in their 90s who are very limited in what they can do physically, but they'd love to pass on stories of wisdom if you'd go visit them. So if you'd be interested in doing that once a month or once every two weeks or something or other with an assigned person where you get to know them, We'd be glad to do that. And then finally, we need to, as younger people, pray that older people would have courage. 
I think often we look at older people and legitimately ask them to pray for younger people, but can we flip that and say, those of us who are younger, let's pray for those who are older, because their bodies are changing. All of our bodies are changing, but they see it perhaps more so than others, and so can we say, let's, let's pray for older people to have courage, like I mentioned my friend Helen asked us to do. In that regard, I, I, this, this situation happened to me this week. I was um, visiting with Pam Jones right here. And she was telling me about how her daughter-in-law just uh, got a new degree and has just graduated from a college where she's going to be working with um, dermatologists in the future and helping dermatologists. And she's, I don't, I, I don't even know what the name of that degree is. It doesn't matter. I won't remember how to explain, describe it, um, say it anyways. But here's, here's, here's what it is. She's going to go into dermatologists' offices and she's going to help people with their wrinkles. I'm 57 years of age next month. Things are changing. <laughs> Occurred to me, I should have probably had her up here on stage and we could have interviewed that young lady and then we should have a discussion about my wrinkles of late. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and see what we could do. But my bigger point is this. Some of you go, I can't believe you just did that, but I did. Here's my point. I don't know how young or old you might be, but it's, it's the situ <laughs> It's the situation where Solomon goes, hey, in light of all that's happened, in light of even being older and having wrinkles in places I didn't, I used to have wrinkles and so forth, I want to do this. I want to remember my creator. I want to fear God and keep his commandments. And that's the summation of it all. There. And you don't have to wait to be old to do that. You get to do it today. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we pray, Lord, that you would hear our prayers this morning. Lord, there are people in this room who are very young. There are some who are very old. And um, in all of them, God, we want to be certain that um, regardless of our age, that we walk with you. God, I thank you that there are older people in our congregation who do mighty and great things for you every day and whose lives are not winding down, but are in fact winding up. And yes, their bodies are more frail than they used to be, and they may not climb on a high ladder any longer, but it's not how tall the ladder is that counts. More so, God, it's how deep your work goes in their lives. I pray, God, that we would look to those folk for wisdom in the days ahead, that those of us who are younger would make our plans for what it might be like when we're older, and then, Lord, that we would gain wisdom from you. And, Lord, help us to do that with great grace, generation upon generation that's represented in this church. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name.